Happy Lord's Day, brothers and sisters. And thanks, Ryan, and the band for leading us and helping us to offer worship to the Lord of glory this morning. He didn't know this, but that, that's my favorite hymn that we just sang. And we actually just sang um, a good bit of what's in our text today, so that's convenient. If I mess this up, you can just go back to those hymns, and it'll straighten everything back out for you. Uh, thanks. Also, I want to say to our Sunday school teachers, our community group leaders for doing the work of ministry each week and to you for granting this, me this opportunity and pray for me because it has been a while. Uh, I invite you to join me in the New Testament book of Colossians chapter 4 this morning. Colossians chapter 4 and if you were asked this question, what are some core ingredients to living the Christian life? I wonder how you might respond. Or to ask the question another way, what tops the list of non-negotiables, the absolute essentials that must be in place if we are to grow in holiness? Well, I suppose that you would begin by saying Bible intake, reading the Bible, studying the Bible. Jesus prayed, sanctify them in truth. Your word is truth. But no doubt, next on the list, after Bible study, would be prayer. As Professor Don Whitney says quite well, uh, what we all seem to know intuitively, he says, of all the spiritual disciplines, prayer is second only to the intake of God's Word in importance. Indeed, prayer is inseparable from the life of faith. Martin Luther put it this way, as it is the business of tailors to make clothes and cobblers to mend shoes, so it is the business of Christians to pray. Yet sometimes the most important things in life are also the most neglected. I can certainly uh, relate to that reality. How about you? Sometimes the most important things are neglected. Well, Colossians chapter 4, verses 2, 3, and 4 have some helpful instructions for us as we seek by God's grace to grow in this important aspect of Christian living. So we are nearing the end of a section in this letter that Paul wrote to the church of Colossae, and the section began back in chapter 3. So uh, maybe glance over there with me for a minute to the opening verses of chapter 3 because this is still the context that we find ourselves in as we reach our, our passage today. So there he opens in chapter 3, verse 1, If then you've been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things that are above, not on things that are on earth, for you have died. And your life is hidden with Christ in God. Set your minds on things that are above. Seek the things that are above. This is our path. This is our trajectory. For you hunters out there, maybe, if you will, this is our shooting lane. This is where we're headed. This is where we're focused and oriented as we grow in holiness until Christ be formed in us. And this is what 
Colossians 3, 1 through chapter 4, verse 6 is all about. It's walking as those who have been united to Jesus Christ. Walking in holiness, growing in holiness. Our fancy word for that is sanctification. This is sanctification on display for us. And our elders, they've helped us to carefully see what it looks like to seek uh, the things above and to set our minds on the things above as we've walked through chapter 3 and into chapter 4, verses 5 through 11, as we put to death, therefore, what is earthly in us, or verses 12 to 17, as we put on then as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts and kindness, humility and meekness and patience. We have unpacked what growing in holiness looks like in the bounds of the Christian household relationships between husbands and wives, verses 18 and 19, between parents and children, verses 20 and 21, and most recently between masters and bondservants, there in verse 22 through chapter 4, verse 1. And today the focus turns outward, so we're not focused in on our personal life of putting off and putting on. We're not focusing inward into our family and household relationships, but now the focus turns outward to the world around us for the rest of uh, 4.2 through 4.6. And there's another application of this ongoing sanctified life as it refers to prayerful gospel ministry to the lost. The world from which we have been delivered, we now turn back and there's application, holy living in reference to them. So before we read the passage today, let's pray and ask for God's help as we study. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. May your kingdom come and your will be done. And Lord, as we Open your word today. These are the very words of God. Help us by the power of your spirit to see. Open our eyes to see. Open our minds to understand and our hearts to receive what it is that you say. I pray that you would work through it to the continued sanctification, the continued growth and holiness of your people. And may Christ be magnified. And it's in his name we pray. Amen. Hear now God's word from Colossians 4, verses 2 through 4. Continue steadfastly in prayer, being watchful in it with thanksgiving. At the same time, pray also for us that God may open to us a door for the word to declare the mystery of Christ on account of which I am in prison that I may make it clear which is how I ought to speak. We thank God for his word and ask that he would bless the reading of it. So here is where the note takers need to pick up their pencil because here is the point of the whole sermon. You ready? This is where we're aiming. This is what I think the scriptures are teaching us. Through this text, the Holy Spirit challenges us to seek the things that are above where Christ is in our prayers. 
Specifically, it calls those who have been united to Christ to have a sanctified posture in prayer and a sanctified priority in prayer to the glory of Christ and the salvation of sinners. So that's a mouthful, so I'll say that again. Through this text, the Holy Spirit challenges us to seek the things that are above where Christ is in our prayers. And that what that looks like, specifically, it calls those who have been united to Christ to have a sanctified posture in prayer and a sanctified priority in prayer to the glory of Christ and to the salvation of sinners. So our study of these verses will be organized under two headings this morning. First, our posture in prayer, and then second, our priorities in prayer. And each one of those have three aspects to consider. So it's not a three-point sermon, but it's three sub-points per point, so it's still a good Baptist sermon. So first, our posture in prayer, which is verse 2. Now, although it doesn't make for smooth English, the Greek word order for verse 2 goes like this. If you were to go direct translation, it would be like this. To prayer be ye devoted. Second person plural. Y'all. To prayer be ye devoted. Keeping alert in it. Or you could translate it being watchful in it with thanksgiving. It's a command. And there's three parts that influence our prayerful posture as we work through this. So notice first the command to be devoted to prayer. The passage says, continue steadfastly in prayer. So the sense of this original, of the original language is to be busily engaged in or to uh, be giving constant attention to prayer in an ongoing way. This is not something that's just drive-by every so often. This is a continual reality. This is an ongoing thing that we are ongoingly or continually giving our attention to. Continue steadfastly in prayer. As the apostle wrote in 1 Thessalonians 5.17, he says, pray without ceasing. In Romans 12.12, he put it this way, be constant in prayer. The scriptures, if we pay attention, they're full of the prayers of God's people. From Moses and his worshipful um, recitations of what God has done, all his mighty deeds as he delivered them in Moses' day, or David's emotional cries for deliverance, his outpouring of his soul to God. And then to Daniel, another good example of unyielding devotion in the face of danger to offer prayers of repentance and praise. And any number of saints and prophets, just pick a page and you'll find it. At all times and in all places, God's people have sought communion with God through prayer. It's not like uh, what you find if you get in an airplane and you pull out the little pamphlet in front of you and it tells you where the emergency cushions are that's for emergency use only. It's good to know that it's there, but... Eh, we don't need it very often. Prayer is not for emergency use only. For a believer, to pray is as natural as breathing. If you're going to continue to live, you have to continue to breathe, right? Or if you're going to continue to grow in holiness and closeness to God, and if you're going to see His provision in your life, then you must 
continue steadfastly in prayer. This was the regular practice of our blessed Lord Jesus himself, withdrawing from the busy demands of life and ministry to seek solace and strength in nearness to the Father through prayer. Like Luke chapter 5 or 16 tells us, he would withdraw to desolate places and pray. And so too the early church. From the earliest of days, like in Acts 2.42, we see that they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and to what? And to the prayers. Be devoted to prayer. Continue steadfastly in prayer. I wonder, is prayer such a priority for you? Is it such a priority that you give regular, devoted time to praying? Maybe sometimes yes and sometimes no. We all seem to know the taste of that ebb and flow of faithfulness, more or less faithful in the Christian life. And if that's you, then I would encourage you, be encouraged by this text unto a renewed devotion for prayer. Well, notice second, as this command continues in verse 2, not only are we to continue steadfastly in prayer, but we're also to keep alert in prayer. As the ESV puts it, being watchful in it. And again, the, the Greek grammar of this command indicates that it's our continued, that as we are continually devoted in prayer, we are at the same time to be spiritually vigilant, spiritually alert, being watchful. We are to be wide awake and on guard as we pray, like a sentinel who's standing watch. That makes me ask the question, and I wonder if it begs the question for you. What is it that we're to be alert and watchful for? Now, I, I think it can mean don't pray right before bed so you don't fall asleep in the middle of a prayer. I know that too, right? But I think it means more than that. We're being alert for something. We're being watchful, vigilant for something. And I think there are at least two dangers that we are to be on the lookout for. Now, we bring in a larger context to get some of this. Uh, the first one, I would say, is to keep alert and watchful for the enemy. Now, I get this from the nearly identical parallel passage of Ephesians 5 and 6. So hold your place here. Let's glance at Ephesians 5 and 6 for a minute. So Ephesians was written during the same imprisonment that Colossians was written in. It was sent to the church of Ephesus by the, the hand of the same messenger that carried the letter to Colossians to Colossae. These both were sent out together. And in Ephesians, uh, during this uh, looking at the life of sanctified, the sanctified life or the life of growth and holiness, Paul follows the same pattern. If you just glance along uh, there, chapter 5, verse 22, he touches on the household. Wives, submit to your own husbands, verse 25. Husbands, love your wives. Chapter 6, verse 1. Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Uh, and then verse 4 of chapter 6. Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger. Verse 5, bond servants, obey your earthly masters. Verse 9, masters, do, uh, do the same to them and stop your threatening. So he's following the same pattern as he does in Colossians. The same things on his mind. And 
towards the end of chapter 6, he does exactly what he's doing in Colossians. He moves on to prayer and to this outward concern for the lost world around and for the proclamation of the gospel to them. But notice when he moves from bondservants to prayers, just like he does in Colossians, he inserts something for us. He adds something that illustrates for us what's on his mind when he says, keep alert, be watchful. So chapter 6 of Ephesians, verse 10, let's read a couple verses. But just coming off of masters, he says, Finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Put on the whole armor of God, so that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers and against the authorities and against the cosmic powers over the present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Then he goes on to list out the different elements of this armor of God. And we'll pick back up in verse 17 at the end of that. And take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God, praying at all times in the Spirit, with all prayer and supplication, to that end, keep alert with all perseverance. So, as we are praying, what are we to be alert for? What are we to be on guard for in our prayers? Uh, We should be watchful against the danger of the enemy. And there's a second danger for which we are to be on the lookout, and I think that that one is that we're to keep alert and watchful for temptation. Now, I'm getting this from our Lord's uh, own words and a warning that he gave where he brought in these two ideas together of watchfulness and prayer. So let your mind go back to that dark, dark night, the night of bitter betrayal in the Garden of Gethsemane. And before Judas arrived with his mob, and before our Lord, he, he went off to pray and he, he withdrew for some agonizing time of prayer before the Father carrying at that time on his shoulders the weight and terror of impending divine wrath. He was about to pay an eternal price to atone for your sins and mine, to purchase your pardon and mine, and to purchase our eternal joy. And as he went, he took a few sleepy disciples with him, Peter, James, and John, and he linked these two ideas, watchfulness and prayer, when he gave them this warning. This is Mark 14, 38. Watch and pray that you may not enter into temptation. The spirit is indeed willing, but the flesh is weak. So he warned his disciples to be watchful and to pray lest they enter into and succumb to temptation. And so let us follow the example of our praying Savior. And through a posture of devoted, watchful prayer... Cast ourselves on the Lord's almighty strength to resist the enemy and to resist temptation. So, be devoted to prayer, he says. Keep alert in prayer. Now we come to the third aspect of this command. Give thanks in prayer. So back to Colossians chapter 4, verse 2. Continue in steadfastly in prayer, being watchful in it with thanksgiving. Now, Adam helped us a few weeks back to see in earlier in chapter 3 that thanksgiving and thankfulness is a theme that runs through Colossians. Really, it appears all over. Uh, 
all the way back from chapter 1, verse 3, that opening prayer of thanks that the Paul and Timothy give for the saints there. And, and then that continues to show up. It continues to overflow thanksgiving, thankfulness in the sanctified life, both in chapter 2 and chapter 3. I think, if not for any other reason, that of all the people on the planet, Christians united by faith to the Savior have reason to be thankful. That's a great amen spot, by the way. It's so important to take note of this, I think, in our text, because we're being called to constant, continuous prayer, to vigilance in prayer. We're being watchful for the enemy. We're being watchful against temptation. And that ongoing watchfulness against these dangers might tend to produce anxiety in us. It might tend to produce discouragement in us as we're watching for those things. Yet, as someone has said, thankfulness garrisons faith. Thankfulness garrisons faith. One of my former pastors has put it a helpful way when he says this. This is a quote from him. Thanksgiving remembers God's gracious promises. It is an acknowledgement that he alone is the giver of every good and perfect gift, that he is faithful to his promises. It also reminds us of the Lord, that he is able to do far beyond all that we ask or think. Thanksgiving helps us to keep, or helps to keep us dependent upon the Lord, who has accomplished all things on our behalf. Now, ain't that true? I mean, ain't it true? When we give thanks, we are helped to remember the goodness and the glory of God. And in remembering, our faith is renewed once again. It's being thankful in prayer. So, let's look to Him. Let's look to our Master and King and express thankfulness in our devoted, watchful prayers as our faith is renewed, and we continue to grow in holiness. That's the big picture here. We're growing in holiness. So, point one, our posture in prayer. And now as we move into verse 3, we encounter an apostolic prayer request, and with it, uh, insight into priorities in prayer. So that's our second heading for our study today, our priorities in prayer, verses 3 and 4. At the same time, pray also for us that God may open to us a door for the word to declare the mystery of Christ on account of which I am in prison, that I may make it clear which is how I ought to speak. So this, again, uh, going to our parallel passage in Ephesians, this is the same thing Paul made, uh, same request that he made to them when he wrote the, the latter half of that book that's apostolic prayer request he called them in in Ephesians 6 19 and 20 that words may be given to me in opening my mouth boldly to proclaim the mystery of the gospel for which I am an ambassador in chains that I may declare it boldly as I ought to speak it's almost word for word the same request the same priorities gospel ministry amid that Roman imprisonment was Paul's greatest concern. And he petitioned believers in several churches to pray for the advancement 
of the Word of God. Notice three aspects of this prayer request uh, from the text there. As he puts before these fellow Christians uh, this request for them, he begins first with the request that they pray for gospel opportunities. That's verses, uh, the first half of verse 3. He says that God may open to us a door for the word. Now, maybe Paul is having a little trouble understanding the situation. I mean, why was Paul writing to churches, asking them to pray for gospel opportunities, while as he did so with his quill and his parchment, the clink of his prison chains were ringing in his ears? And did he not know that prison bars and chains put a stop to gospel ministry? Au contraire, mon frere. It did not matter that shackles hung about him as he wrote. He wrote to Timothy in another place, I am bound with chains as a criminal, but the word of God is not bound. God's mighty hand opens doors of effective ministry in the hardest of places and in the face of the strongest persecution. And we know that the Lord was pleased to answer these very prayers because while still locked up in that same imprisonment, he would write to Philippi saying in Philippians 1.12, I want you to know, brothers, what has happened to me has really served to advance the gospel. It was God who gave, and it is God who gives the effective opportunities. God who empowers and guarantees the advancement of his word. I don't know about you, brothers and sisters, but that gives me great hope for the work. You got some chains? Throw them on me. Who cares? It's not going to stop the advancement of the word of God by the hand of his almighty power. Thus, he called believers to pray for gospel opportunities. Is that a priority in your prayers? Is that even on your radar to pray for such things? Are we pleading with the Lord to open those doors of effective gospel ministry in our lives and in the lives of our brothers and sisters both here and afar? Are we praying for that as we think about Ecuador and having a meeting about going there? Are we praying that God is opening effective doors for gospel ministry? Well, confident in God, may we devote ourselves to praying for that very thing. Doors, open doors to gospel ministry. Well, notice from the text, the second part of that prayer request. He asked that they pray for gospel proclamation. Look again at verse 3. Do you see it there? At the same time, pray also for us that God may open a door to uh, open to us a door for the word to declare the mystery of Christ. Pray for the opportunities. And as God grants them, pray for the proclamation of the truth of God, the truth that's found in Christ. This mystery of Christ, as he puts it there, uh, is the very gospel of grace itself, the good news of Jesus, once veiled in types and shadows, but now gloriously revealed, as he explained earlier in chapter 1, verses 25 to 28. And again, our parallel passage of Ephesians helps us 
when he says this, praying that words may be given to me to open my mouth to boldly proclaim the mystery of the gospel. Here it is, the mystery of Christ, the mystery of the gospel, for which I am an ambassador in chains. So we need the sovereign Lord to open the door, and we need his omnipotent strength to enable us to, de- to declare this only saving message and to declare it with boldness and clarity. This is the greatest news human ears can hear because it speaks of the only remedy to our plight in sin and of the greatest treasure you can ever discover. Jesus Christ, whose loving self-sacrifice is our only rescue. As you sit here this morning, have you believed this good news? Have you repented of your sin, turned from them, and by faith embraced the merciful living Christ, once crucified for sinners and now raised in eternal glory? Is Jesus your greatest treasure? I point you to him. There is a final aspect of this apostolic prayer request for the advancement of the ministry of the word of God. So he asked them in verse 4 to pray for gospel clarity. That I may make it clear, which is how I ought to speak. Yes, we need an open door, but we also need a clear message. It must not be diluted to increase palatability. It must not be altered to suit the shifting sands of cultural preference because Brethren, there's no pleasing it. There's no satisfying it. It will always change again. We must not alter the message. It must be clear. As he wrote to the Corinthians, 1 Corinthians 1, 22 and following, For Jews demand signs and Greeks seek wisdom, but we preach Christ crucified, a stumbling block to the Jews and folly to Gentiles, but to those who are called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ, the power of God, and the wisdom of God. So pray that I may make it clear, he says, which is how I ought to speak. Well, we've looked at all the pieces, so now let's put it all back together, tie it neatly in a bow. Colossians 4, verses 2 through 4, challenge us in our prayers to seek the things that are above where Christ is. These verses call us, those who have been united with Christ Jesus, to have a sanctified posture in prayer, devoted, watchful, thankful, and a sanctified priority in prayer. Open doors for clear gospel proclamation to the glory of Christ and the salvation of sinners. Let's bow together for prayer. Our Lord and our God, we ask as Jesus did that you sanctify us in your truth as we have studied it in today's text. Be at work in us by your Holy Spirit, we pray, and help us to be devoted to being watchful in and devoted to and thankful in prayer as we plead with you to open those effective doors for gospel ministry. 
for clear gospel proclamation to the salvation of sinners and the glory of Christ Jesus in whose name we pray. Amen.